Welcome to No Compromise Radio. What kind of intro is that? That's my line. My name is Mike Abendroth. Oh, How are you? My name is Steve Cooley. I'm the Tuesday guy, sometimes known as the Wednesday guy. And we're brought to you live by Pete's Coffee. <laughs> We have a sponsor now. (laughs) You know, someone asked me uh, if I would sponsor something, and I said, well, send me the product. I'd like to try it. I tried the product. I said, I'd love to sponsor. They said, well, what do you charge? And I thought, I'm competing. I'm I'm like negotiating against myself. What would you give me to talk about this product for 30 seconds? With C's candy. (laughs) (laughs) I said, no, I said, no charge. The only thing you have to do is just send me free candy. (laughs) Is Warren Buffett aware of this since he owns C's? Anyway, then they said, I guess it was too much. I I asked for too much. I thought, well, then don't you counter? What did you ask for? 20 bucks? (laughs) It was like something like that, 20 bucks a show. That, that doesn't seem like a lot to me. Well, like when Aldo Leon, his, the downloads are 20,000 episodes. People downloaded those shows on mm. NoCo. What's that? Know. What, a, a penny a download? Yeah. For people to hear about C's Candy. <laughs> when they were, and they were just like, well, wait a minute. We'll pay that, but not for the Tuesday. <laughs> oh, yeah. The Tuesday show. I forgot to tell you, Steve, that was it was $1.00. For the promo on Tuesday. Nice. It would be good to look at the different days and see which days were downloaded which. Spencer, can you work on that for us? The pressure. I don't need that pressure. Today is part three, Preaching Discipleship Theology Quiz on the Atonement. I gave to some laymen here in my preaching class a little please define preaching discipleship quiz, and I just wanted to see where they were at theologically so I could help them. Yeah, and don't use the word in your definition. I mean, that's going to be in the instructions next year, right? Right up at the top of the page. Do not use the word you are defining in your definition. Do you think young people even have tests anymore that aren't Do they even go to school? I don't know. But seriously, this kind of stuff you have to correct because they write it in and I have to actually read it. If I just do a multiple choice or true-false, I can do it all on the computer. I never have to lift a finger to grade. I never have to think, oh, what student needs my help? What student's excelling? I just click. I think that's one of the reasons they, that they don't do this anymore. See, I won't do that in my Trinity class because, you know, I don't want to scare people. So, mm. you know, define the Trinity. <gasps> so in last, and these, these are all online on YouTube. Well, we're trying to get a new website up that will be on the website. You don't have to go to YouTube. What what was like the cool thing that you learned or taught last Sunday at Bethlehem Bible Church? Simply Trinity, Steve Cooley, Tuesday oh, Guys Sunday man. School. I mean, something you go, oh, that was cool because just every time I teach, I think, oh, I can't wait to get to that part of my teaching or my sermon because I'm fired up about it. Man, you know, I should go get my notebook uh, because I, I right off the top of my head, I don't remember. You know, you know, mostly here, here's what I well, I'll tell you the cool takeaway for me from Sunday was somebody was in the class for the first time on Sunday. And they said, I had no idea it was that interactive. Right. Because what I, I mean, we're not in. Sunday school, this is lecture. This is listen to Steve lecture mode for, you know, 45 minutes. And, you know, I intentionally set up the class so that it's very interactive. I use true false quizzes. People complain about the questions and, you know, all that. And which is great because the more interaction, the better. But people, you know, how do people learn? 
Well, one way they can learn is by listening to me speak and listen to me, you know, elucidate a particular topic. But another way they learn is by being able to ask questions, <laughs> which is usually more effective because people ask questions and then people and then I answer and then somebody else will answer and then we'll ask some more, you know, refining questions so that everybody kind of gets hold of the topic. In fact, what I've kind of in my mind have uh, my mindset is I don't want to leave any saint behind, right? I want them all to be able to grasp what we're talking about. I don't, I don't want to speak in uh, or leave it in such lofty terms that nobody can get it. I want everybody to get it. I like it. Somebody just sent me some Twitter thing about obesity sinful. <laughs> if you're a Christian and also obese, you must confront and overcome. <laughs> well, yeah, you know, we... I, I can't even I can't even do it. I, I just remember the guy. Every time I hear about that, I I remember the guy who was like, "Well, have you ever disciplined anybody out of the church for being obese?" And I don't think people realize what a can of worms that is. You know, do you want to walk around to everybody and go, "Hey, uh, hey, Tubby, why are you overweight?" You know. I mean, there are medical reasons. Yeah, there could be sinful reasons, but I mean, do you really? Is that really how you want to? You know, expend yourself in ministry, checking up on everybody's weight, putting them on some kind of program. Or I've talked to people who have been too large, and they know it, and they come in the study right here. They're sad. They cry. They want help. And, uh, and but that's different than walking around. You know, like I, I'm the inspector, dude. It was probably ten years ago. There's this guy showed up. Had nothing to do with him being bald, but he was a bald guy, Reformed Baptist, and he came for a few weeks. Oh, I like it here, and I was probably in a law section, you know, blasting people. And he came up to me and he said, "Can I talk to you after the service?" I said, "Sure." You know, this is what we do. And I thought he was going to say something like, "I don't know." When, when's the new membership class? I get asked that regularly. Could I be baptized? Is there any way I could plug in and learn the Bible more? When's your preaching class start? Thank you for the sermon. Something like that. Can I buy you lunch this week? <laughs> he said, there's a lot of fat people at Bethlehem Bible Church. <laughs> I looked at him like, what? It would be the equivalent of somebody asking me, what are my personal pronouns after the church service? Yeah. And I said, excuse me? And he said, yeah, a lot of people that are overweight. I said, I said, you, something's wrong with this question because you don't know if somebody has diabetes. You don't know if they have a thyroid problem. You don't know if they're taking steroids because they're trying to suppress some, some kind of cancer. You don't know anything. You don't even know if some of the people that are overweight here don't like to be overweight and have actually been in my office in tears about their weight and they want help. You don't have any idea. Yeah, just the, just the idea that we're going, you know, that we're going to confront people because they're, I, I mean, no, just no. I said, here's the question you need to ask, sir. When I say sir, usually in those matters, it doesn't mean I even think they should be called that. It's the opposite. Though. Right. Do you see any leader here that would you consider that you would consider obese or their wives obese? Are the elders or the elders' wives obese? And I'm like, what, what are you talking about? And I just thought, man, what a home life that guy must live. It's back to, must, it must be back to the S. Lewis Johnson thing. If you live under law only or law extra outside of the Bible and you don't hear a lot about grace and Christ Jesus and who he is and how he'll never leave nor forsake you, you're going to be crabby. Law people are crabby. Show me the crabby people. I'll show you people. Just give me more law. 
Give me some law. That's all I want is some law. <laughs> okay, so we've looked at these definitions the last two shows. Justification, sanctification, redemption, reconciliation, propitiation, and faith. I was looking more for the subjective side of faith, but the once for all delivered faith, that was a good take. Number seven, oh, this is fun. You and I have done this before many times. The gospel. I didn't say a gospel. I didn't say... The gospel. Uh Uh-huh. The gospel. All right. We're going to read what some of these students in my preaching class said, and then we'll talk about it a little bit. All right. Let's go to telling people... Number 10... Wait. Number seven. Sorry. The gospel from the Greek meaning good news. It refers primarily to the birth, life, death, resurrection, and intercession of Christ done for us that we would be saved. Okay. I mean, you know, very Christ-centered. Uh-huh. Okay. Good. God sent his son to live a perfect life and die for the sins of all who would believe. He was buried and the father raised him from the dead three days later and he ascended into heaven and is coming again. I, I like that one. Okay. Uh, what is the gospel? <laughs> Blank. <laughs> wow. I guess you ran out of time. What, what, which which gospel are you talking about, Pastor? I don't. I, I, I want to be a preacher, and I can't define the gospel. If this question was, "What do people have to do to go to hell?" and you just leave it blank, <laughs> nothing, <laughs> empty set, that, no, that'd be fine. <laughs> no answer required, right? <laughs> Here's a different one: that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and He was buried and raised. On the third day, for our justification, hmm. our sins in exchange for his righteousness. Hmm. <laughs> Born of a virgin, full God, full man. Jesus, being the promised Messiah, lived a perfect life and dies for his people, spent three days in the tomb and raised himself from the dead. Those who repent and believe this will be satisfied and raised on the last day. I think he meant, oh, justified, excuse me. I can't read his writing. That's, that's pretty good. Yeah. Okay. Is repentance part of the gospel, or will we call no. it a gospel imperative? Maybe? And, uh, yeah, <laughs> repentance. So strictly speaking, what we're looking for is a description about who Jesus is, the one sent by the Father, the one whose benefits are applied by the Holy Spirit, right? You say the one person, the Trinity, you think of the three. You think of the three, you think of the one essence in nature. Strictly speaking, the gospel is about Jesus and his person and his work. Generally speaking, gospel could be a genre, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Yeah. Generally speaking, men like Calvin would call the Old Testament law and the New Testament gospel. And so, generally speaking, Go make disciples of every nation is in a gospel, right? It's a command in the gospel. We're talking strictly. I, I did like how, I think it was this last one, where he said, you know, Jesus raised himself, because I thought, oh, yeah, good. Uh-huh. Yeah. So what's the difference between Jesus raising himself, the Spirit raising him, and the Father raising him? What's the difference? <laughs> the, the emphasis the particular writer wanted to make, you know, because uh, the operations, there is no separate operation. 
One for all and all for one. Is this yeah. the musketeer operations the, the, inseparable? The Trinity, yeah, the Trinity inseparable operations. Yep. I love First Timothy three sixteen. It says, "Vindicated by the Spirit." Right. Everything that Jesus said was vindicated. The Spirit raised him. The Father raised the Son in some passages because his work. The son's work was done to perfection, perfectly pleasing the father. He did what he was sent to do. So the father's uh, amen was to Jesus's, it is finished, as Lewis Johnson. And he raised himself because he said he would. And he has the power to do it, John chapter 10. That's awesome. See, that's my favorite part of your Trinity class this last Sunday. Okay, well, I, you know, to be fair, I don't think we've gotten there yet. So, But we will. I mean, it, it's, you know, it is just fun. The gospel, good news. Christ took our place of sin, died on the cross, buried and rose on the third day and lives, exclamation point. That's pretty good. Okay. Remember, dear listeners, the gospel means good news. We're not the good news. That's why you can't live the gospel. You can adorn the gospel, Paul says, live in light of it, but we're not the good news. But what about when the Bible says, obey obey the gospel? Okay, good point. And so what are the works that we're supposed to be doing? The work is to believe. And so when you obey the gospel, you obey the call to the, the response to the gospel, and that is to believe. What are you going to do? What's the other option, Steve? Obey the gospel. Okay, here's the gospel. Jesus, the eternal son, lives, dies, buried, raised, ascended, session, and returned. Now, you need to obey that. Obey that Jesus died on the cross. There must be some commands, otherwise you couldn't obey it. No, no, listen. Obey that Jesus died on the cross. (sighs) Well, I just think, you know... The gospel, the gospel also has to include righteous <clears throat> living. That's why it says to obey the gospel. Oh, and that's such good news, Steve, because when you look at my life behind the scenes, and few people have seen me behind the scenes like you've seen me behind mm-hmm. the scenes, isn't that good news? When you're around me, don't you just... Like, I, I walk around here. Mike epitomizes good news. Well, you know, one of the things I do when I preach now is I'm like, look, the gospel is so transforming. I would invite you each to take a tour of my mind. <laughs> I mean, can you imagine that? I'm, I'm just going to put you into a little bit of a coma so you can tour my mind. What a, what a nightmare that would be. Oh, it's so sad to think of. That was like that old chick track, you know, this is your life, right? The guy dies unexpectedly, and then it's got the date of every one of his sins and everything else. That's actually true, right? If you're going to die as an unbeliever, every one of those sins, God will not forget. And thankfully, as believers, uh, God since he's punished Jesus, the, the, the language is even he'll remember our sins no more. He won't hold but it against us. The gospel us. according to Chick was you had to go back in a time machine and erase every one of those sins. So, Do you know they still hand out Chick tracks in Manhattan? Several times I've walked outside down the street and Broadway, on Broadway, and there'll be a whole, they, there will be a whole table of Chick tracks and a little evangelist sitting right there. Mm. I give him props for trying to, for yeah. trying. Sure. More than I'm doing. I'm on my way to the next banana pudding shop or something, Magnolia's. That's why I don't go to New York. <laughs> I'd like to be sponsored by Magnolia's. Would they, you? they have that banana bread pudding stuff people just line up for, and you can get online now if you'd like. Okay. Let's go to the next one. I, I'm having fun with this, Steve. And, and this spot is sponsored by Magnolia's. <laughs> They weren't the company that sent me their free stuff. They weren't? No. Okay. Uh All right. Number eight. What's the difference between the law and the gospel? 
Oh. See, because in light of the gospel, I wanted to get the students to go, hmm, maybe I should change my answer on the gospel now that I see the following question. Well, the one guy apparently skipped the gospel question and was so stumped by that one that he never went back to it. <laughs> what do you think they're going to say? What, what would be your guesses knowing our group? The difference between the law and the gospel? Well, I would hope they'd get it right, mm-hmm. you know. Um, I, that, think, I think they're going to get it right. Okay. The law points to the sin penalty. The gospel points to our cure. Do and done. Okay, do and done. Uh-huh. I, I think you could just leave it at that. Wow, what a great answer that would be, <laughs> so right? So the gospel's do, right? Law's done. No, we, we've done the law. No, no, no. Didn't Moses do the law? No, no. no. When, when he threw the tablets against the side of the mountain, what, weren't they done? And he threw them that's, away. That's when oh. they lost the extra five commandments. Moses said it is finished. He threw the law down and broke it. <laughs> <laughs> but isn't it interesting when Israel would say, like we've probably said, all that you've commanded to do. Oh, we will do it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And in the future, we'll do it oh, all. Yeah. We'll stand at this mountain. We will do it. We're going to be so obedient. I mean, it's just like little kids, you know. Sorry, Mom. I'm never going to never gonna disobey you again. Oh, right. Until like an hour later. Well, then how can you call yourself a Christian? I mean, it, this is a sin, Steve, that you've never gotten over, right? So, Could you're, I be you're, called you're, a Christian ever, if everybody knew? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, think about it. You've struggled with self-righteousness for 30 years, 20-some years as a Christian. And so I, I think probably you ought to have overcome that by now, kind of like this obesity issue. You have to, over, have to overcome it and confront it. Mm. Well, <laughs> every time Steve says, well, you, you know something's coming. <laughs> Well, in truth, I'm I'm too humble to brag about my victory over self righteousness. So, okay, okay, I I can I can deal with that. Okay. <laughs> Law condemns, gospel saves. True. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he probably could have. I mean, the next question is going to be about first and third use, but the gospel uh, is, is something that does save because we're talking about Jesus. When I th- hear the word gospel, Steve, I pretty much in my mind every time think of Jesus. Yeah, me too. It's not some something floating around there. I, it's not... Although I did like the do and done thing. Right. I, you know, that That's was pretty, the easiest, yeah, right? That was pretty it's skippy. a quick quiz. This is not taking two hours. You got 10 minutes right. to do it. Do done. Mm-hmm. All right. So far, so good. The law says do. Gospel says done. Like it. The law demands. The gospel is that the demands of the law have been met by another on my behalf. Good. Right? So I would agree with this man, strictly speaking. The gospel never demands. Right? The law always demands. Okay, good. What's the difference between first and third use? This guy said, I'm not sure, but I'd like to learn. (laughs) (laughs) Do you actually think that you're going to get credit for that? Well, just maybe. We are Christians after all. Law is works and provides no hope for the sinner. Gospel provides hope in another's work in the sinner's place. Okay. All right. Now, this young man, he should, he should know this for sure. The difference between law and gospel refers to imperative versus indicative, respectively. Law says do. Gospel says done. All right. Yeah. Uh, the old scholars would say law, gospel, not indicative, imperative, or in, imperative, indicative, to keep it consistent. Because there's some things that are in the... Subjective, subjunctive tense, rather. And so they just said law gospel instead of imperative indicative. But 
especially for biblicists, especially for like authorial intent, human author only, uh, imperative indicative will do for me. I, I, I can work with that. I can work with those guys when they do that. Okay. Law tells us to do a set of rules. Gospel says it's done to believe in Christ. Does the gospel, I mean, this could be a huge episode, but typically the reformers have called the response to the good news of Christ Jesus, belief, they call it a gospel imperative because it's receiving, it's resting, it's not part of the gospel, but it's how you receive the gospel and you are commanded to believe. Okay. You're still silent? Any? Cat's got my tongue. Cat's got my tongue. All right. What's the difference between the third use of the law and the first use? Here, Joey said, don't know. I can't believe I just said Joey. You named him. Yeah. I can't believe that. You named him and shamed him. No, but also now I see something good. If you don't know, it's kind of nice just to not try to figure it out. Plus, we've got 19 Joeys here, so who are they going to know who's the Joey? We do have a lot of Joeys. (laughs) First use, drive sinners to Christ by convicting Third use, the law is used as a guide for Christians to live holy. Yeah, the, the law for the unbeliever says, see your sin and misery, you, you're going to need a Savior. The law for a believer, since God doesn't change, his law doesn't change, but your relationship to the lawgiver changes, and now he's your father, and your father says, here's what I want you to do, son, for your good and my glory. Yeah, some things are better for you than others. So. Some girls are bigger than other girls' mothers. <laughs> that was going to get me in trouble, but I was quoting a song. <laughs> Here, I'm not sure, but I'd like to learn. So you know what this yeah. tells me? I need to have a little session in class about that, even though I preach on it every single Sunday. But, but you know what? First use, second use, third use... I mean, those things kind of go into my head and out of my head. I, I, I think I always remember the first use, and then I'm like, oh, yeah, that's what the third use is, you know. Well, the second use is, you know, the restraining element of the Ten Commandments in society at large for believers and unbelievers. But if you just remember, God has laws, and how do I relate to the lawgiver? I don't care if it's first use or third use. I just don't want Christians to hear God's law. Don't look at a woman with lust and then have them say, and I did, therefore I'm not saved. God's going to condemn me. If you do that, you need to repent because the Father will certainly discipline you, but it's out of love as a child. But but now that raises a, an interesting question, at least it's interesting to me. You know, how long should one mourn over, you know, your sin? You know, at, at what point do you say to somebody, enough of your mourning over your sin? Well, let's just use a human illustration. Some uh, son or daughter has sinned against you. They come to you. Uh, they're obviously mourning. It's not just I got caught tears and they're asking you for forgiveness. And I don't know how you could ever forgive me. This was so big. It's such a big issue. And of course, I'm thinking about the prodigal son in Luke 15 and the response of a father to a son with a repentant child, a repentant son, excuse me. Uh, maybe there's a time to sit and talk through it. But I think after the father uh, has been asked, will you please forgive me? And the father said, son, I love you. He might not even say, I forgive you. He might just say, I love you, which includes that. I think once you're forgiven, I think you need to move forward. I think you need to, 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 to start walking like you're forgiven. So you would say that 
some kind of mournful retrospective, you know, well, re- you know, repetition of my guilt over and over and over again. Is that offensive to the Lord? That's a great question, Steve. What, what do, if God says you're forgiven? If God says you're redeemed? But I don't if, feel forgiven. I, I know, and neither do I. And by the way, part of this is the, the, the judgment that's built into sin. And I don't mean eternal judgment. Here's what I mean. If you sin as an unbeliever, some of those sins, they still haunt me. Mm. They're completely forgiven. But I'm told that they're done and it's over. I just listened to the, the Gift of Forgetting by James Boyce. And I thought, you know what? What a good reminder that I need to do exactly what you're alluding to, Steve. I need to believe what God says. It's done. It's over. If Luke sins against me and I, he asks for forgiveness and I grant it, and he keeps coming up to me over and over and over, or walking around uh, sad and mourning and beside himself and wondering if our relationship is still right, I'm going to say, son, Actually, now you're sinning more because you're thinking that my word's not true. I said, I, f- I love you. I forgive you. And now you're doubting the forgiveness of God. Hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, it's almost like people say, well, I know God has forgiven me, but I can't forgive myself. I know, which now leads us to talk more about stop looking at yourself so much. Right? This morbid introspection that you alluded to, looking in, looking in, looking in. There's not a whole lot of good there. No wonder Horatius Bonar and uh, Robert Murray McShane would say, every time you look at yourself, make sure you keep looking. And that is then you look to the Lord who forgave you those sins. Quit looking at your own sins over and over and over. I mean, if you want to know how people, um, I mean, even Christians can commit suicide, you know, I, th- I think it's something like this. You know, I, I know I'm forgiven, but I can't forgive myself. And what I did was so heinous, I can't get over it. And, you know, maybe maybe I need some substance to help me, you know, deal with this. Maybe I need, you know, I all these kind of things. And what are they ultimately saying? They're ultimately saying, you know, I believe in the Lord Jesus, but that's not enough. So, it's so hard. And I think if you said to the Lord, could you give me mercy? Would you help me? I think he's going to help. I think that's the first thing I'd want to do besides looking at self. You know, that old slogan, Steve, go to the throne before you go to the phone. (laughs) You know, go to the throne before you look inwardly and start to moan or something. I don't know what kind of what kind of slogan we can come up with. But it's 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 another reason why every single Sunday your your pastor needs to talk to you about the grace of God in Christ Jesus the means of grace to sit and listen to gospel preaching. So, But what if, what if the grace of God isn't in the text? Are you, are you going to force the grace of God into the text? I'm going to force it into the sermon because I'm oh, a Christian. Oh, You know, some of our friends that don't want Jesus preached in certain sermons or in certain ways, I just think, hmm, Paul doesn't even have a New Testament. And he says to the church at Colossae, him we proclaim. The people at Corinth didn't have a New Testament. But when I when I got to town, I already knew what I was going to talk about, Christ and Him crucified. Yeah, but I mean, <laughs> yeah, but. if you come on a Sunday morning and you don't hear about Jesus, sometimes it's fine. Sometimes you just need to get beat about the head and shoulders of, over your sin. Well, as we said earlier, self-righteous people love self-righteous pre- preaching. And people want law for lots of reasons. It's built in. But also, Steve, with law, if I give you a few little principles and you do them, you feel good about yourself. 
versus joy and the fruit of the Spirit. Did you know, Steve, that the fruit of the Spirit is the fruit of the Spirit? What does that mean? I used to preach the fruit of the Spirit. <laughs> These are all the things you should do. Yes. <laughs> well, it's true. Yeah. I mean, taking the taking the work of God and turning it into an imperative for you. <laughs> now, certainly, it says elsewhere, love. It says elsewhere, rejoice. It says elsewhere to be self-controlled. But that passage, 522 in Galatians, is the fruit of the Spirit. It's like... It's like the triune God is at work in you, and he actually does something, right? Oh, brother. Well, today on No Compromise Radio, Steve and Mike, right here, talking in the first person, we talked about theological preaching, discipleship tests. Steve, thanks for being on the show today. We'll see you next time.